Good morning and welcome to Grace. It's good to have you with us again this morning. We're excited to be able to worship and we're hoping here within a short time we're going to be able to join together again uh, having services in person. But for now, uh, wherever you are and joining with us, we're glad that you're with us this morning. We want you to follow along. We hope that if in our church you had a bulletin sent home, you'll be able to follow along so that you can say our prayers, our confessions, and join together in our service. Other than that, I want to take a moment and lead us in a word of prayer before we begin worship. And so let's take a moment and go to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we are thankful again that, Lord, somehow you sustain us. Lord, as we are learning day in and day out to trust you more and more, Lord, we're also realizing that it's so easy to let others dictate and to determine what it is that you've actually called us to do. Lord, give us a clear heart, a clear mind, so that we're able to understand and to hear you, that we're able to go forward in times like these to do what it is you've called us to do, that we not be scared, that we be unafraid and unashamed to uphold the gospel, to portray it. Lord, regardless of what others have said about our churches being essential, Lord, we realize that you have chosen the weak things of this world. Father, in order to condemn the strong, to convict them, and to bring about your purpose. So, Father, regardless of how we're categorized, I pray this morning that in the hearts of anyone who listens, they'll see the essential, not of the church, but of the gospel. That, Lord, it is the gospel that saves. It is the gospel that brings you glory, and that we're able to share that here this morning. Father, I pray for just a moment of peace as we worship together, that we're able to have some time together and just glorify you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we join together, let me read from 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 5, verse 13, as I call us to worship here this morning. It says, It was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, in praise to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that even the priests could not stand to minister because of this cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Wherever you are, I pray the glory of the Lord fill your presence. Please join with me in this corporate prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare us as we confess our faults. Restore us and make us truly repentant, according to your promises declared to the world in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful God, for his sake, that we may live a holy, just, and humble life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. It's true, friends, that we are saved by grace through faith, that we are saved unto good works. We are saved to glorify God so that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth. But as we have confessed our sins, I'm going to read a promise from God's word, a promise that we often think about at Christmas time, but I assure you that this is a comfort for all the time. Uh, even in May. 
So this is the promise of God's word from Matthew 121, speaking of Mary, who will give birth to Jesus. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, if you have turned from your sin, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you are looking to him alone as your righteousness, as your Savior, on the authority of God's word, I tell you that your sins are forgiven. This is the blessing and the awesome truth that we have as Christians. Now we have the chance to confess our common faith together through the words of the Nicene Creed. It's in the Trinity Hymnal on page 846, and it's also in your bulletin. Christian, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we know that our eyes are only turned to you because you came to us first. That, Father, your Holy Spirit has drawn us to you. Father, you loved us first. And so, Father, we come in obedience this morning to worship, to join together around the globe, so that, Father, we could come in obedience to bring you glory. Father, for just a moment, expound on your word through me to those who are listening, that we would find ourselves drawn closer to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, that's where we have been sharing together. And again, I want to say thank you to everyone who has helped uh, be a part of our virtual ministry. Uh, not only those who are helping in the sense of doing the video and the sound and the singers who are here and uh, the musicians that have come, and, but I also want to say thank you to all of you who have remembered us and have helped us around the church and have helped with the cleaning and have helped with the setup and have helped us prepare the building so that we can be ready for a great return. There's been so much going in so that we could meet the demands of what's going to be necessary as we meet together. And I look forward very quickly to being able to fellowship together in an environment here that will make you feel safe. And so I know our deacons and our elders are all about wanting you to realize our first and foremost job as your shepherds are to help you and to minister to you. And so please pray for us as we do that. 
Now, as we go to 2 Corinthians and continue, I want to speak to you this morning about what we've been singing about, and that is we have been commissioned to point people to the presence of God. Now, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have learned all about the importance we've said about being this treasure within us in jars of clay, that God has placed his gospel in us, he has given us a truth, and he wants us to share that with the world. And sometimes we realize that it's only when we are broken that that truth comes through. Paul expounds on that even more in this chapter and reminds us that those of us who are going to be useful in ministry, those of us who are going to go forward and make a difference for the kingdom of God, are going to find that God is using every circumstance in our life to further his glory. And so I want to challenge you this morning in two main areas. One of those areas is if we're going to be useful in ministry and point people to the presence of God, we're going to have to have, if you wish to say, faith in the present. He's going to remind us of that. The other thing he's going to talk to us about is the future in his presence. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Follow along as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I want to challenge you this morning about your present faith and your future in his presence. We are commissioned by God to share the gospel. As we've been singing about it this morning, it is our task to share the good news, to present Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has done so that your life can be changed, so that you can experience the blessing that Jesus has for us. And so Paul begins to expound right away in telling us the importance of sharing the message of the cross and resurrection. He begins in verse 13 when he says this, we have the same spirit of faith. Now, if you have done your Bible study and looked ahead, you realize that's a reference from Psalm 116. As many would feel it was David who comes forth in many of our Psalms telling us about the faith that David had. Now, we could expound on that and talk about the faith that David had and what David went through in order to be obedient to God. But this same faith, listen to what Paul says, not only did they have faith in what they believed, but they also spoke of it. The most important thing that we have right now is the same spirit that David had, the same belief that David had, was also what he spoke of. The challenge to us today that Paul is writing is that for those of us who call ourselves Christians, for those of us who say that we're following Christ, for those of us who say we've been called by God, my question to you is, are you speaking about it? The problem we have in the world today is so many of us claim to have Jesus on the inside, the spirit in our life, the guarantee of all the future blessings to come. But we never share what it is that's taking place. The truth of what's happened in our hearts has not been communicated to anyone else. 
Oh, we can fall back on what is known as lifestyle evangelism, if we haven't all read about that. It's the easy cop-out at times, and I want to challenge you, not that it doesn't work, not that I don't want you to live like Christ, but it's the cop-out to say that naturally people are just going to look at your life and say, oh, it must be the Jesus in you that's making the difference. That doesn't happen. What I want to talk to you about is what Paul says. He spoke about this. It's faith put together with confession or speech that allows us to know exactly what's taking place in the lives of God's people. We've all seen a change in people's lives, and we want to know why they're changed. See, it's not unashamed for some of us to say, hey, to those who've been in rehab through a prison sentence, to say, man, you sure have changed. What made the change? And they excitedly tell you about how their life was changed while they were in prison. It's not also uncommon to hear for those who've been very sick and have spent a lengthy time in hospital and rehabilitation. When they finally come home and say, wow, you surely have changed, and People want to say, oh, yes, and they'll tell you all about their experience, about what they went through in the hospital and how they were ministered to. But isn't it ironic that when someone says, you know, I haven't seen you in several years, your life's different. What's made the change? It's so easy for us to talk about our careers. It's so easy for us to talk about our friends. It's so easy for us to talk about our new homes and our new places when really what we need to be sharing is the Jesus that's done his work in our hearts. And so Paul writes and he says, we need to have faith with speech. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is also Paul's writings. Many of you know it by heart. He simply says this, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and what? Believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. It wasn't just that if you believe in your heart, you're saved. You see, we've taken Christianity and made it personal. We don't talk to people about their faith. Those are inappropriate questions. We could offend other religions. It could be unpolitically or politically incorrect. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves making Christianity personal. It's private. We don't want to speak about it. We don't want to share it. And it's none of anyone else's business. And yet Paul writes and he says, if we believe in our hearts, it would be something that we would confess with our mouths. We would be unashamed of what is taking place in our lives. Unless, of course, you're ashamed of what's taking place in your lives. And then, of course, we don't want to blame it on Jesus. And so Paul writes and he says, listen to this. It is the same belief that David had. It is the same confessing that they spoke about. It's no different in Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to go back just a few pages, if you're following in your Bible, right after Corinthians is Galatians and then Ephesians. Paul writes about being dressed in the armor of God. Let me read an important part when he says, for those of us who are battling and going through circumstances in our lives, and we wonder why God is allowing these things to take place. Listen to what Paul writes about the spiritual armor of God. He lists all the things that we need, and then he simply says this in verse 16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take this helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We all go through circumstances. We all go through hard times. We all need to be dressed for battle. But listen to how he finishes in verse 19. And also for me. Paul says to these people in Ephesians, pray for me. Listen to this that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery 
of the gospel. Man, that's my prayer, is that each and every one of us realize that we have a faith in us. There's a belief that is secure in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is guaranteed that. And yet Paul was praying that not only are you dressed in faith, not only are you protected about a salvation that lasts forever, but he wants you to have the boldness to speak about the mystery of this gospel, that mystery that changes each and every one of us as Christ becomes real in our hearts. Oh, what he's talking about is we need to have a present faith. We need to have a faith right now today. And I challenge you, whatever circumstance you're going through, to listen to the words of Paul, to be useful in ministry, you've got to have a faith in the presence right now. It's got to be in the presence of people. It's got to be in the presence of others. And they have to hear about it. Listen to what he goes on to tell us. The verbal witness that takes place in our lives is what corresponds with discipleship. What we're talking about is what you're telling people is what's actually taking place in your life. We don't want to tell people things that aren't really taking place. For example, if you tell someone something is true and it's not, it's ineffective. It's not very useful. But yet at the same time, we can't just tell people to do the things that we tell them to do, even though we're not doing them. And so we have all these things that we're learning from. For example, we have statements like this. Do as I say... Not as I do. Now what kind of witness is that? That we can tell people that they ought to do the right thing even though we are not. Well, it's no different to tell people that we're doing the right thing and not telling them why we're doing it. Do you just assume that your children are going to watch you and then grow up and say, man, it must have been the Holy Spirit's work in your life that did all that? When they've never heard about the work of Christ, the message of the gospel? You see, all of a sudden we're bound to actions and speech. Parents, at least one time, tell your children you love them. Don't just assume they know. It's no different than God. God didn't just assume he loved us. He sent his only son. He came in the flesh. He dwelt among us so that we could behold his glory, that we would know God so what? Loved us. It's there for us to know. It's in speech. It's in action. It's in truth. We behold that glory we need more people to have the boldness to speak the mystery of the gospel. Why do we say that? Well, because we all want to share about our encounters. Now, let me put it this way. Um, we all have experiences, and when people ask us, hey, what's going on in your life? We share it as if the experience is going to bring people to Christ. Now, I don't want to make any of you upset or mad. If you're listening in, I'm not trying to say that uh, you've had dull experiences in life. But folks, I guarantee whatever experience you share, someone else has had a greater one. I could tell you all kinds of stories of things I read that I would say that's absolutely untrue. There's no way that can happen. There is no way that you could wrestle with alligators, sharks, octopuses, and all kinds of things below in the deep that I've read about recently. That can't be real. I've never experienced those. But at the same time, in your life, you might say to yourself, when people ask me about my life, I share these experiences. Don't think your experience is going to bring people to Christ. What they need is for you to tell them about what Jesus has done. It's his experience that changes them. It's what Jesus went through. It's what Jesus accomplished. That's what changes the lives of those who are listening to you. They don't care about your experience. They look at your life and they love your life and they want to see great things happen. But then when you tell them that you've gone through the same problems, the same struggles, that you too have lost a loved one, that you too have had to watch the important people in your life be brought back from being astray, 
that you've had broken relationships that have also had to have been mended. Why don't you share those? You see, it's not our experiences that matter. What matters is what Jesus has done. If you don't speak with the boldness of the mystery of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ, you're just watering down the truth that we've talked about. I want to challenge you for just a moment. I know our elders will get this. If you're listening in, it's a future of directions and the important aspects that elders have to go through. But listen to the officers and leaders of a church because this is what happens when you water down the gospel. When you begin to water down and talk about your life rather than the life of Christ. You talk about your experiences rather than the experiences of Christ. You talk about your truths and what you stand for rather than what Jesus' truth is and what he stands for. When you water it down so that people will like it, enjoy it, and have fun with it, then all of a sudden listen to this. These are also qualities for eldership, but listen to what the Bible says. When you water it down and make the gospel easy, make Christianity easy, here's what happens. There is absolutely no doctrine. You water it down enough that there's no truth. And if there's no doctrine, then there's no discipline. Because if there's no discipline, because the doctrines of not truth, there's nothing to guide. And if there's no discipline, there's no discipleship. And if you're not discipling people, let me just tell you this, there's no direction. So if you're taking notes on the qualities of an eldership, let me just give it to you ahead. You know what elders do? They provide the church with direction. They provide the church with discipleship. They provide the church with discipline. And they provide the church with all of its doctrines and discipline. Now, in our case, we could say they also provide leadership at the denomination. But wherever you are this morning, listen. If you compromise the mystery of the gospel, you compromise your church. You begin to develop a community of people that love to just get along and share each other's experiences and have a great time and listen to one another. And we never share about our present faith. That which truly changes people. Flip back to Acts chapter 2. Let me read what Peter did. It wasn't just Paul writing about it. Peter in Acts chapter 2 had an entire moment to give a speech. Probably unlike this one. He probably had lots of people listening in in the present. But here's what he said. He said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And yet God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Listen to the last part of it, verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter's message was that you want to talk about experiences, let's share one common experience that we have. Our common experience from whatever part of the globe, from whatever part of the states, from whatever area that you've worked in, our common experience is that we crucified Jesus Christ. It was our sins that placed him there. It was our sins that led him to that tree. It was our sins that took him to the grave. You want to share a common experience? That's the mystery of the gospel. We took him to the grave. But the great news is what saying here, Paul writes about it in the same verses up here when he says, they believed and so they spoke. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us. Our common experience is not only that we crucified Jesus, let's accept that, but it's also that just as Jesus was raised, we too can be raised from the dead. Our life does not end when this physical body stops breathing here on earth. Our life is not over. 
The glory that we have to give God can go on for eternity. The purpose that you have in life can carry on throughout eternity. There is more to life than just now. It's your present faith today. But it's in the presence of the Father that we long to be. Oh, I challenge you to share the mystery of the gospel. Peter's speech, you put him to death, and yet God raised him from the dead. So let me give you this. Catch these words, put them down. If you have physical death before you have a spiritual resurrection, you will face eternal judgment forever. You want to talk about experiences. If your physical death comes before your spiritual resurrection, you are lost forever. But if your spiritual resurrection comes before your physical death, you will be raised again to live for eternity in the presence of the Father. It is a present faith today that determines the future presence with Him. We've got to make the decision today to know that we need to experience the resurrection. We need to know our experience with Jesus Christ. We need to know that our sufferings today are for a reason and a purpose. We've got to look beyond our own self to what Christ is accomplishing in us. Paul writes and he says, Knowing that He who raised the Lord will also raise us together and bring us with them, with the Corinthians. All of us share not only the common experience that we crucified Jesus, but we share the common future experience that we can be raised together with him. That we can share this glory in the future. Our sufferings today may seem to be without purpose. And you may be thinking to yourself today, why me? Why this? And I'm challenging you, as Paul is saying, for it is for your sake. That's what it says in verse 15. In other words, he's saying it is my suffering for your sake. You are suffering today in some situation or some circumstance. And you need to look beyond self and self-pity. And stop mourning about what's happening to you. And look at it for the grace that's going to happen to someone else. Because your suffering brings the safety to someone else. Because your circumstances are going to ask or require someone to ask of you, why is this happening? And you can either go into a long experience about how you made it through life and how you overcame and how you rose up and how you accomplished all the tasks. Or you can simply say in the mystery of the gospel that God had a greater plan than I did. God knew more about my life than I did. And God had something more special for me than I could have ever planned. And it is through this suffering that I've come to understand the mystery of the gospel. And that my sins took Jesus to the grave and he rose again so that I could be raised with him. Oh, your suffering goes beyond. Our message is that more and more people will be saved. Look at verse 15. It is for your sake so that grace extends. Catch this. It is for your sake. We're suffering so that grace would extend to more and more people that it may increase in thanksgiving. Folks, your, your suffering has a purpose. It's so that the grace of God can be extended. When people watch how God heals you, they'll want God to heal them. When they watch how you trust in God, they'll want to trust in God. And when they finally ask you how you do it, please don't take the credit. Please don't talk about what you've done. Please share the mystery of the gospel. My prayer is that you will have the boldness to speak what you ought to speak, and that is to point to Jesus Christ. Point to the future in the presence 
of the Father so that we do not lose heart in verse 16. We could look at all the faith that wasn't just David. Let me talk to you for a minute about Joseph. When we read in chapter 50, when his brothers have gathered together with him, and when they've all got together scared to death because now Joseph is in command, they realize who he is, and they're afraid he's going to punish them. Do you remember what Joseph's words were? Some of my favorite verses. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. Folks, can you look at your life this morning? And when people come to you and ask, and you can say to yourself, to the one who has been against you, to the one who is harsh on you, to the one who treats you negatively, to the one who is always putting you down, never supporting you, never encouraging you, can you look to the one who has constantly seemed to make your life a challenge and say to them, it's okay, because what you've meant for harm, God has meant for good, so that his grace may extend. And go beyond. It wasn't just that. Do you remember what Daniel said before he bowed there in the fiery furnace? He didn't bow to the king. He was told to bow and he wouldn't bow. Do you remember his response? Just as Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that simply responded and said, Whether my God delivers me or not, I will not bend the knee. To be given the ability to speak the boldness of the gospel. Are you ready to lose your job because you're not going to give up the day of worship? Are you ready to lose the bonuses and the incomes because you're not willing to cheat and steal from others to make an extra dime? Are you willing to watch your family be persecuted, your children have to move and uproot their lives because God's called you to do something and you're willing to do it and others won't? Oh, that's the boldness to speak the mystery of the gospel. You see, suffering is not just how bad you feel. It's not just the pain that you're going through. It's the suffering for Jesus Christ. We learn all about that as we go forward in Romans chapter 8. We learn the importance of our suffering. But before we do that, let me tell you about Job and his suffering. Do you remember what he told his friends? No, I will not. They wanted him to just curse God and get it over with. And he said, no, is it not the God who gave me everything that has the right to what? Take it back. The boldness to speak the truth. To trust in the Father. Even Jesus. For God's sake. Father, if there be any other way. But not my will, what? Thine be done. The boldness to point to the presence of God. That's what I want for your life. That's what I want you to experience. Yes, Romans 8.28 is a powerful verse. For God works all things together for good. To those of us who love God and are called according to his purpose. But that's not where it stops. We live our lives saying, God's doing this for your good. He's doing this so that you'll benefit. And yes, that's true. But that's not the important part. Listen to the important point of this. It's so that God gets the glory. The end of verse 15. He says, so that the grace of God may extend, increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. Your suffering is not just for your good. Oh, don't be so fanciful. Don't be so prideful. Don't think that you're so important. Your suffering is for the glory of God. Your suffering is not just to see people get saved. 
It's exciting to see people get saved. We want to see people get saved. But folks, we don't save people. God saves people. It's not in the saving of people that, that God's end. It's in the saving of people that God accomplishes the means to get his glory. Salvation is a means to the glory of God. Your suffering is a means to the glory of God. Our whole life are means to the glory of God. Yes, I want you to find purpose in your life. Yes, I want to see people get saved. But more importantly, I want to see God be glorified. I pray that you'll speak in the mystery of the gospel. When those events are tied together in your life, when people want to know how it is that you're living, instruction and doctrine go together. The truth of what you need to know and the experience of what we need to follow have to come together. You cannot just live a life following people not knowing what you're doing. And you can't go around in life just telling everybody what to do when you've never experienced what needs to be done. I don't want to bore you with all kinds of stories, but I remember going through chaplain training back in the early 90s. And I remember they were recruiting young pastors for chaplains so that they could go out and keep up with soldiers. And I remember saying, I want to be a chaplain. So I remember signing up and going to Fort Monmouth at the time to do my Chobik, my chaplain officer basic training. And I remember one of the courses we would have to go through as chaplains, though we were crazy soldiers in one sense. We didn't carry a weapon. We carried a lot of candy, bubblegum, scriptures. We were there to comfort the soldiers and help them along the way. But we had to be able to keep up. We had to be able to survive. We didn't want to be just baggage. We didn't want to just be extra weight for the colonels. We wanted to be a help in whatever the war was. And as we fought a war and a battle in another land or country, we wanted to fight the battle of sin everywhere we went. And I remember going to one of my training stations. It was called the infiltration course. For those of you who have served in the military, you probably know it better than I. But it wasn't just thrown at us. The infiltration course was known as Paragon Trail. It was a time in which our instructors took us and put us on a trail. It would be nighttime. There would be simulated blasts of explosions. And there would be live gunfire that would be shot over your head with tracers. Those light up ammunitions that you could see. There would be gas at the end of it in which your lungs would have to expand in order to get through it and to get over it and to know where your mask was. And it was all a training course to see if you could make it in the heat of battle. But they didn't just throw us in there. Oh, I'll be the first to tell you as chaplains, our first thing was not to just get through it. It was to drop and pray. Oh, what a way to teach the soldiers. But I remember when Sergeant Park at the time took us aside and he said, before I ever take you on this experience, let me explain to you why and what's going to happen. Boy, I wish I could take those words to the gospel today. And When I sit down at the restaurant and start drawing out my disciples' cross, when I sit down at the restaurant and start going through the five points of salvation or the doctrines of grace, Oh, I wish I had the wisdom at times to sometimes look across this table and say, listen, let me tell you why I want to share with you these important truths. And then let me share the experience you'll have with Jesus Christ. It's the same faith that David had. It's the same confessing that they had. And we're always pointing to the presence of God.
Listen to what it says, Romans 8, 17. Flip back in just a few pages in your Bible and listen to what Paul writes when he's speaking about heirs with Jesus Christ. He says, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided, catch this, that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified together with him. Oh, we are never challenged that we have to suffer just for the sake of suffering. It is not true in scripture to say that we're going to suffer just to see us suffer. God takes no pleasure in saying, let's just watch my children suffer so I can see them suffer. God does not tempt us. He tests us. He wants to see that faith. Yes, it's risen up. It's true. Even with Job, he tells Satan, my son loves me. It wasn't because God wanted him tested. It was because Satan said he wasn't real. And maybe you're here this morning and you realize Satan is coming around you and he's saying you're not really a child of God. You've acted like one. Sometimes you've even talked like one. Sometimes you've even told others about being one. But I think it's only because God, you've blessed them tremendously and they've never had to go through suffering. And so God says, consider my servant it just may be that God's saying, just consider my servant Jared. Just consider my servant Nick. Just consider my servant in Chile. It just may be that God's powerful words in Paul's writings are oriented to you that you're being prayed for, that you would have the boldness to speak as you ought to speak and to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Yes, not only do we have to have a, a present faith, but we've got to be looking at his presence in the future. And this is what he says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. That's the term. It's being renewal. It includes everything from regeneration to glorification it's the renewal process of having an eternal perspective. From the moment in which God regenerates your heart and begins to change you through the process of adoption and justification, making you right with Him, through the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Him, clear up until the point of glorification when sin has been eradicated and you're in the presence of the Father. It's that process that He's talking about. Day by day, we are constantly working through the process and in order to get through, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. We must point people to his presence. Jesus tells us he was focused. He knew exactly what the Father wanted him to do, and he would not vary from it. The disciples had to remain focused. For every time you took your focus off of Jesus, you failed. Peter knows what it means to take your eyes off. Jesus. And yet at the same time as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're told by the writer of Hebrews, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, we need a present faith. We need people who are unashamed to put their actions with their words. We need people who are unashamed to speak the mystery of the gospel, to tell people that the experiences are not about us, but they're about Jesus Christ. And we need people who are focused on their future presence. 
that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Why? Listen to what it says. These momentary afflictions are preparing eternal weight of glory. Momentary afflictions. You know, Paul had an affliction that haunted him most all of his ministry. Oh, I don't know what momentary is meant here other than it's a reference made to today in this life. Because what we go through in this life is only momentary. What it's preparing us for is the eternal weight of glory. I would hate to think that you were going through your circumstances and your suffering for no future reason. Oh, I would hate to think that you would let your children go through circumstances and suffering without any future reason. Oh, as parents, I remind you, please, please put words with your actions. Please, please put his words with his actions so that the mystery of the gospel can be proclaimed. For as we focus on the invisible, verse 18, we look not at those things that are seen, but the things that are eternal. Why? Because when we focus on the eternal, we minimize the hardships, the temporal, and we maximize the glory of God or the eternal. Paul's writing to us and he's saying, if you want to be useful in ministry, retain your confidence in Christ. Proclaim and confess the gospel. Christians were never told again to bear the burden just to bear the burden. Sorrow is to lead to repentance. Repentance to regeneration or regeneration to repentance. To justification, faith, and adoption through a process of sanctification and one day to his presence. All those in whichever order we wrestle are one purpose, one goal, and that is that our present faith will lead to his presence in the future. And let's share that with everyone else. Oh, I can conclude by telling you this. Jesus suffered, and his suffering pointed us to God. He didn't act like he suffered. He suffered. It was real, and it pointed us to the Father. Your suffering is real. You don't have to act like it, but you can let it point people to the presence of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, again, that we can look at our circumstances and our suffering as being temporal. Help us to realize that there is more to this life, an eternal weight of glory. Father, it is about our present faith. But Father, I pray that you'll give us the strength, the boldness to speak as we ought to speak. That we would put the words to our belief. That we would take a clarification to our actions and father as you came to us in jesus and pointed us to a future presence 
by raising him from the dead, promising to raise us too. Father, help us to point others to your presence as well. Father, use us again as vessels of honor. Break us, remold us, and make us lights to this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.